Hello and welcome to another episode of The Real Rant, the place where we like to rant about the real stuff. My name is Brendan McGee and I'm your host. Hey everybody, hope you're all doing well. Joining me on the show today, I have actor, writer, and producer, David Wilkins. Outside of being a pretty funny dude and an awesome human being, David Wilkins starred in and is a writer of the film Last Call, a film we discussed with filmmaker Gavin Michael Booth. On a previous episode, David and I spoke on a variety of different topics, such as the responsibility of being a creator and finding and receiving permission in oneself and sometimes from others to create. He's also got an all-around intriguing adventure story of how he got to where he is now as a creator in the film industry. But before we get into all of that, I just want to remind everybody if they want to, they can get in touch with me at The Real Rant Pod on Twitter or The Real Rant, all one word, on Instagram or send me an email at therealrantpodcast at gmail.com. If you are a fan, filmmaker, or creator or someone who works in front of or behind the camera, I'd love to hear from you. Maybe we can have you on the show. Who knows? Give me a shout. Let's find out. If you want to help out the show, I have my Patreon link down in the show notes there for you. And if you want to help out the show even more, go ahead and give me a five-star review on whatever listening platform you're listening to me on right now. Or don't, but give me a reason as to why that you're not doing that. Because, you know, help me out. You know, constructive criticism and all that jazz. And hey, while you're here, why not, uh, you know, press that uh, subscribe button. Have you come back. Let me talk into your ears. Because I have such a great voice. I, I honestly, I feel like... I feel like I have a great voice. No, I'm just full of shit. I'm totally screwing with you. I'd like to think I have a great voice, but um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit intense. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not that I have a great voice, but it's more that I'm just a bit intense and that the intensity provokes a need to have an audience. Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. Let's go with that. All right, and one more thing before I go. If you haven't seen the film Last Call yet, I will post a link to its IMDb page in the show notes down below. You are not required to have seen this film to enjoy the pleasantries of this amazing audio that you are going to listen to in a couple of seconds here. However, it is something that I wish upon you to do. So go ahead and do that. All right, and without further ado, may I present to you actor, writer, and producer David Wilkins. How you doing, man? I'm great. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My my wife's out of town with the kids, so I'm uh, I haven't woken up to a, a four year old going, Dad, I need to poop in <laughs> like five days, and that's uh, that's a gift that I I hope everyone can uh, experience at some point. Well, I had I'm not trying to downplay your kids or downplay the fact that kids might be associated with animals in any capacity but i had a dog <laughs> once and and uh having a dog for 12 years is like probably having a two-year-old um because all they do is have to go outside to go to the bathroom and you have to help them and then you got to clean up their poo and it's just the whole thing so i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah it's when we let our two-year-old out back to go to the bathroom um <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, uh, have we had a, a golden retriever for uh, about eight years before the kids came along? Mm. Uh, so it was very much. Uh, I was like, oh, you know, we got this because you know we've had this big dog, and he's you know 
requires a lot of attention and and it, no there it's nothing it's nothing it's, nothing? it's not even okay. close to the same <laughs> um i'm i can I can comfortably tell you that that is an inaccurate assessment of, of the right. responsibilities of being a parent, but I like where your head's at. <laughs> I think, uh, I think for me, um, you know, cause I'm, I guess I'm at my, in my mid, no, I'm not in my mid, I'm in my late twenties now. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about having kids in the next couple of years here. Um, my brother has some kids, my best friend has a kid. And uh, it's really fun being a cool uncle. And and I've always wanted kids just because, you know, I had a goofy childhood and I kind of want to be a good dad. I fucking like kids, man. They're fun. They're a lot of fun. But I can imagine the cleaning up the the poopy diapers and all that jazz kind of gets old and being up till three o'clock in the morning or not ever getting any sleep is kind of an issue. I mean, I feel like all of that stuff, just like when you were in college, like you just get used to this, you know, this is my new normal. I, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, but the difference between like being the cool uncle and being the cool dad is that um, when you're the cool uncle, you get to give them back at some point. And so <laughs> it's, you know, you, and you know, ahead of time, like I'm responsible for these children during this period of time. Uh, or I'm not responsible for them at all. I'm just going to come into my brother and my sister's house. I'm going to fuck shit up, and then I'm going to leave, and they're going to have to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, when it's your kid, it's just like you're just constantly trying to maintain some sort of baseline of I have enough energy to get through 18 hours at this level only, and if I have to go anything above that, then we're eating into uh, you know, those last two hours are just going to be like, this kid's doing whatever he wants because I don't have the energy to stop him anymore. This might be a bit of a, a stretch here, but do you find that the lack of sleep or learning to have a lack of sleep helps in some capacity being an actor and being a creative person because you have to be up at ungodly hours to do, you know, film projects and all that jazz i mean yeah i guess it could be similar if um if like when you woke up to be a parent there was a pa that like um took you to the (laughs) to the food truck and they got you a breakfast burrito and asked you if you needed water (laughs) and you know if it was you know you didn't have to worry because the the best thing about like being on set early is uh there's always somebody else that can tell you where you're supposed to be they bring you your clothes they, you know, they escort you to, to hair and makeup and uh, make sure that you're... So it's it's a, it's quite a different level. It, it would be like uh, like being your own PA and having to do all that stuff, but you're also the guy in the truck making the breakfast burritos. And at the same time, you're the onset <laughs> medic on having to... Yeah, so it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, it's in the world of independent film, uh, being a parent is essentially like being a, a one-stop shop, only there's you know, two other people involved with the production that are hell bent on making sure that nothing happens that day. I wonder if my ambivalence then to, I guess, be uh, an independent filmmaker is because of the fact that I'm worried about having to, I mean, I talked to Gavin about this too, but he, he's like, well, just make friends with a shitload of people that are good at other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I've always struggled to find other people to be able to do all those other things. So maybe maybe my psychology going into becoming a parent is to just realize that at some point I'm going to have to do all those things that I usually would think about doing when I want to put that together my own indie project, except like translate that to being a parent. <laughs> it could be it could be but uh, you know don't listen to gavin because as much as he likes to think that he lets other people do stuff uh it's 
he doesn't. He has to do everything himself, um, and he just. Uh, but he'll give other people credit for things. But it's definitely uh, he'll. You know, he's following him up behind, being like, "Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and re-edit all of the stuff that that I just asked you to do." So, <laughs> are you? Do you? Are so your background is in um, acting, um, which would make sense because that's how we. Uh, how I found out about you. Um, how, how did it start for you exactly? How did, how did, how did you become a creative person? Did it happen right when you jumped out and you were like, Hey world, what's going on? Or was it kind of, (laughs) (laughs) or did it take a while to figure it out? Uh, I mean, honestly, a little bit of both, you know, I think that there Mm -hmm. was definitely the, the performer, the entertainer in me, um, you know, was there right at the beginning. Um, my, my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, did silent movies when she was a kid. She did a, a, Holy shit. Like a huge number of them. She was one of the pioneer members of SAG. And uh, wow. so it was, I was very, I was aware of the business, but uh, none of my, none of my, my mom and none of her siblings uh, followed in suit. So there, they, nobody was a part of the business um, by the time I came along, except, you know, my grandmother maintained her, her, her uh, SAG membership up until she passed away. Just in case, mm-hmm. you know, just in case they were going to be like, you know what we need is is somebody that's uh, slowly dying from emphysema uh, to be on this <laughs> set. Um, I feel morbid to laugh at that, but it's a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, especially in, in today's culture, I feel like uh, you have to be exactly the character that you're playing. Otherwise, people are like, well, they should have got, you know, a real uh, emphysema person to play that role. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so, yeah, it was... It was something that I I was aware of. I loved attention. I loved making people laugh. Um, you know, putting on little uh, you know make believe performances and stuff in the living room and all that. Um, but it didn't really translate outside of the house. Like I wasn't a part of uh, theater in in high school or or anything. And I think a lot of that was just because when I was growing up, we we moved around a ton, and so. School was always just sort of a, a thing I had to do, and I I, I, did, I wasn't all that into participating when I was there. Um, but we also, when I was growing up, we we were always at church, and so I was the king of church. Like I was, I was popular. <laughs> I knew all I knew all the Bible things, and yeah. um, so I would do you know I would do some like which are essentially just like sketch comedy for for <laughs> sketch comedy for Jesus. Um, and and that was kind of, you know, that was, that was, uh, the extent of where my performance was, uh, up until after I graduated from high school, I started doing community theater out here in Austin, Texas. And that was kind of the, the beginning. And so, um, you know, I, I did like a day's background work on Varsity Blues that was filming out here. It was the first big film set I'd ever been on. And I was just like, just taken by all of it. Uh, I loved watching all the background, like what was actually going on behind the scenes. You know, we filmed for an entire day and it's, it's all of 45 seconds of the movie, you know, uh, yeah. you know, when it all, came down and it was just yeah that stuff kind of fascinated me and so i we uh when we left texas in 99 and moved out to hollywood and i was there for two months sleeping on my aunt's couch until i spent all of my money um and 
you know, was kind of faced with that choice of like, do I, do I go work at Starbucks again or do I go home? And, (laughs) and, uh, I, you know, I was, uh, I'm a quitter, uh, at heart and I always (laughs) have been. And so I was like, well, you know, I gave it a chance. Um, clearly if it was, if it was meant to be, I would have been hugely successful within this 60 day time period that I've allotted for myself to really, make it in this industry that takes years to, uh, to grow inside of. And so, um, so yeah, I moved back home and, uh, went to school and got a degree in marketing and started selling, uh, you know, was working through school, did a lot of sales. Sales can come easy cause it's very much, um, it's, it's acting. being, yeah, it's just acting yeah. all the time. So I, I sold high end pens. I sold luggage, uh, I sold women's shoes. Um, I sold cars for a while, made a lot of money doing that. Uh, sold subprime mortgages until I destroyed the economy. Um, I don't think <laughs> Thanks, it was lot, just buddy. me, though, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I definitely, I'll take credit for at least some of that. And uh, so, yeah, so it was it was kind of, that's kind of where I was going. And at the big fateful moment, um, I, w- I had just started uh, dating uh, the woman who is now my wife, And, um, I had at the time I had like two big leather recliners and a giant television and that was all of my furniture. And, uh, so I had a a couple of, uh, DVDs. I had Forrest Gump and I had Varsity Blues on DVD. And so (laughs) I threw, I threw in Varsity Blues because I wanted to be like, um, uh, let me show you a blurry version of a younger me, um, you know, as, uh, as an attempt to impress somebody. And I just kind of, you know, waxed philosophical a bit because um, going back to that time on the set of Varsity Blues, the uh, the casting director uh, asked if I wanted to to come back and play the role of a, a student trainer uh, for the remainder of the the shoot um, for all their football scenes and stuff in the locker room and all that. And at the same time, I had I had gotten a call that morning uh, from Starbucks where I'd interviewed, and they were like, "You're hired." And I, I chose to go and make coffee instead of going back on set. <laughs> and I, you know, it, interestingly enough, I probably would have made more money during that, like, you know, month to six weeks of filming than I, than I did, you know, sling an espresso. And I, it's just, it, it haunted me for years after. And so I'm saying, it was like, this is my biggest regret that I didn't do that. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know if it was like some level of like self-sabotage or, um, you know, just the, you know, really wanting to, to please my parents' desire for me to, uh, get a job. I just graduated from high school and, um, I was, uh, I, I had, I had been accepted to the university of Texas at Austin on a, on a probationary status. And so my choice was to either start in the summer right away or wait until the spring. And so, because I wasn't going to be going to school in the fall, um, they, well, I chose summer and I got, I got kicked out of UT because, uh, you have to go to class uh, in college just in the beginning, just in those early, <laughs> those early days. They care. Yeah. Uh, after that, they you know it's just say like if you do your work and 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 
take the test or whatever, but this was like the early, the, you know, chemistry 101 where they're like taking attendance and it's like, that takes up half the class because there's 500 people in this lecture hall. But, um, yeah, so I, uh, so I had to get a job. That was, that was the, the basic thing. And I, I chose poorly, um, as, as they say. And, uh, yeah, it just sort of bothered me. And so, you know, I'm, I'm relaying this story to, uh, the woman in my life and she was like, well, listen, I don't, cause we had already, we, I think we'd been dating for, um, you know, uh, two minutes and had decided we were going to get married. And, and she was <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want you to wake up when you're 40 and regret that you didn't pursue this thing that you clearly are, mm. you know, in love with. And so, I, uh, she, as soon as she graduated from, uh, college, she got her, her doctorate in pharmacy. Um, so you're good then. You're good. Oh yeah. No, I was going to be yeah, all right. You're... I was, I was in a good place. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was taken care of. I was a kept man as it were. <laughs> um, yeah. So as soon as she graduated, I, I quit my job and, uh, you know, doing subprime mortgages and two months later the company went bankrupt, so it was fine. Um, and I went and I started doing, uh, there was, there's a theater in Tucson, Arizona, where we were living. My wife went to U of A. There's a theater called the Gaslight Theater that has been there for, I think, 37 years, something like that. I think I've heard of it. Yeah. And it's, it's a melodrama musical dinner theater. And I, I went and auditioned and they were like, you're great. Um, you can do one show a week as an understudy. It pays $25 a show. And I was like, sold. Absolutely. <laughs> and I had the time of my life. I was so happy. Uh, you know, I'm singing and dancing and making stupid, corny jokes. And, I, you know, I was I was hooked. And, um, you know, I, I paid somebody too much money to take black and white pictures of me, not knowing that they're not supposed to be black and white anymore. And I got an agent in Phoenix and started auditioning for you know, local and regional commercials and started booking a bunch of stuff and, you know, eventually was like, you know, if I'm really going to do this, I'm not sure that Tucson's the place for me to grow. Um, let's go to LA. And so in 2010, we packed up everything and we moved to Los Angeles and I spent a little over 10 years there kind of, uh, growing my career, networking, getting to know a lot more stuff. Um, uh, booked some things, made some money, uh, and, and eventually, and it was pretty early on in, in my time there, I realized that uh, nobody's writing content for me yet, because nobody knows who I am. And so, uh, but I know who I am, sort of. And so I get to write content for me. So I started writing shorts and, you know, sketch things that, um, that I could have other people make and I would star in and then I started, you know, making them myself and uh, directing some things that some other people made and, you know, writing things for other people. And that's sort of, uh, it was a very organic uh, path or journey, I guess, that my, my filmmaking has taken um, in that way. And, uh, you know, that led some years later to me meeting Gavin Michael Booth at uh at starbucks no kidding it all came full <laughs> circle <laughs> and uh and you know we just sort of uh our i think our tastes sort of aligned and um we we complement each other in a lot of different ways uh we're very we're very different but in in ways that sort of um mesh well 
And so, um, you know, when I came up the, with the concept for our film Last Call, uh, I knew for sure that Gavin would be interested and uh, that he had the um, experience that would be necessary to try and make some, uh, which I, I didn't know at the time because, you know, I, I, was, I didn't know any better, uh, but mm-hmm. that he had the experience to make something very technically difficult. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I, I could relate to a lot of what you were saying, too, because I think, um, shit, I just got ink on the wall. That's not good. Somebody's going to find out later, and I'm going to get in trouble. Um, my wife. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, um, but no, there. I, I too, I, I, had, I have a very similar – I've had very similar situations before, so it's good that I'm, – I'm glad we got to connect because um, – I, I think for me too, it was it was very much, uh, you know, I I needed to find the right person. I think for me too to be able to feel like, you know, holy shit, like I can actually do things, and you know, it's almost like, do you feel like there you need someone in your life to kind of, not you personally, but just in general, well, no, maybe you personally because this is about you. Do you feel like you <laughs> needed that person in your life to kind of give you that, uh, that I guess push to get to where you are now with having made this you know great film last call um and then going on to make more projects from there absolutely you know i I don't know if it's true of every creative type but i know that for Mm. me um uh, you know and i maybe it has more to do with my upbringing or just my my own sensibilities but i felt like you know you you need somebody to almost give you permission to to try permission to go out and and fail and and you know to feel safe doing so that it's not going to you know it's not going to be like oh I go out there and and fail miserably and and now I'm I'm stuck and I'm I don't you know I'm never going to get back out of there um I think that there there are some people uh and I think Gavin's probably one of them that w- were always the type of person that would give themselves that permission and yeah. so I think until you, until you get to a place where you can give yourself permission to to go to believe in yourself to go out and and try something and be willing to fail at it and and also willing to succeed at it which you know I that's a part of of the industry that uh, not a lot of people talk about but I, I I do think that there is an underlying fear of success um almost like a dog chasing a squirrel it's like well mm. if he catches it then now what what do you do you know yeah. it's so it's uh uh I think for me I I desperately needed to I mean I'm massively codependent uh, you know I know that about <laughs> me um yeah. and so I I desperately needed to have uh somebody that was like yeah, go ahead. You know, it's like, uh, you know, knowing your mom's on the beach and you can go in the waves because she's going to be watching you, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And, Dad, watch me. Do you watch me die? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, because, I mean, there's nothing more terrifying than when you're a kid in, in the beach and, and you dive under a wave and you're so proud and you and you pop back up and you can't find mom on the, you know, oh, where where is she? And, you know, it's because you've sort of drifted and she's back where, where you started. Um, but I think having that person in your life, having – having the uh that sort of anchor um to look back at your you know our lighthouse i guess um you know helping helping you uh keep from bashing your head on the rocks so to speak that's a lot of, think... i threw a lot of metaphors at you all at once we'll have to Dude, uh, unpack all hey, that but you're going to make it really easy for me to clip this episode to do promotion like i did for Gavin yesterday where he talked about the NBA 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw. I was like, "What is he talking about?" <laughs> I just thought, "Hey, that was funny." I think he said a lot of pr- pretty profound stuff. But um, I guess from there, then, do you feel like now you're in a place where you can give yourself that permission to to do what you feel like is right in your career and what what you can, you know? Does that just I, has it just come with age? You guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think age, experience, um, you know, and it's also, I mean, it's only been within the last, you know, five or six years that I've really taken more chances on creating stuff that I care about and things that matter to me and things that challenge me uh, as an actor or as a writer. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I I envy the people that that seem to have that at a younger age because, you know, essentially they've got a lot more time to, to work it all out. But at the same time, you know, I look back and I think I, I wasn't ready until now. I wasn't, I wasn't in, in that place. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot about, um, when, when Steve Carell was, you know, absolutely blowing up because of the office, um, you know, he had, he had been, grinding away had been uh you know a writer at these you know great comedy institutions and had been on the daily show and uh a bunch of he was a mailman yeah exactly like he Mm -hmm. you know he had his real job that he had to work um and he was married and he had kids and so you know when they were talking about like oh you know how has this fame changed things he's just like I'm too I'm too old to to get swept up in it because I still mm. have to go home to my wife and kids and tuck my kids in and you know I'm still their dad and I'm still her husband and so I think that for me um it's I I'm just I'm much more grounded in in my own reality and that allows me to to feel like I can safely wander into the uh, imagination of so many other different people and characters and ideas. So, um, you know, I just, uh, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if you enjoy where you are at the moment, then you can't regret any step that you took to get you there. And Mm -hmm. so there's no, I can't look back at any moment of my life. So I no longer regret my, um, my, (laughs) my decision to, um, to make frappuccinos instead of uh, going to set every day when I was 18 um, because that was what I needed to do to get me here. So sorry, my, my wife just kind of walked in. So <laughs> oh, hi. Um, <laughs> he wrote um, on the wall, there's ink on the wall. <laughs> she can't hear you, dude. It's all in here. <laughs> uh, um, you out. Yeah, well, you know what? I'll wrap myself out later because that's who I am. Um, <laughs> uh, so, well, that's good to hear because coming from someone uh, like yesterday, for instance, um, was it yesterday? Or was it two days ago? I think it was yesterday. I don't remember. Um, a couple of days ago, I was talking to somebody because uh, I, you know, having just moved here, I'm trying to network and Clubhouse, as you know. I've spoken to a lot of creators recently about is like a really great place to network, especially if you're in like a certain city. Um, but I was talking to another creator and, um, and he was, you know, talking about, he's like, just get out there and make shit. And I'm just like, ah, 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 ah." (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, those people are great and all, and, and they know what they want in life. I think, 
but there are people like me who, you know, for instance, and, and I guess like yourself who, you know, take a little bit more time to just get there and we have to get there on our own. And, um, I was regaling my tales of, you know, my constant indecision to make a decision (laughs) on Mm. trying to get into what I want to get into. Um, and that is, you know, creating shit, like, you know, whether that be a podcast or making a, you know, short film, um, because you don't feel like you can get there on your own. So therefore you need a team, you know what I mean? Um, and you know, you, I guess from what I'm hearing you, you, or you need permission, like you said. Yeah. Um, and, and you got that permission from your partner and I too, that's where I can relate as well as like, um, I had a really abusive relationship and I came out of it and came into this really great relationship where this person was like super patient with me and also said like, you know what, do what you want to do. I don't care. And I too, I got the hookup as well. My, uh, my partner, she's a, she works in the health industry too. So we're all good there. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, pl- it's plague proof. So we're all good. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, I, I too, I like, I totally relate to that. And so now I guess for you being in a spot where you feel comfortable, at least from what I can gather, do you feel like, um, you're more, I mean, I would assume you're more driven now to create the shit that you want to create, but when you sit down to write these stories and these characters for yourself, do you feel, I don't know, uh, more open with the relationship between, uh the page and and where you're going like do you have more of an idea do you have a clearer thought thought in mind than you would say about 10 years ago than you would have been writing i guess then yeah you know i think i think a lot of it is um i i no longer uh solely write for me um mm-hmm. i write for the story i want to tell okay. and um you know so there's i mean and and i feel like I feel like a lot of writers, there's a little bit of them in all the characters that they create. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, you know, there's always little bits of me that that pop up in dialogue or, you know, sensibility of the characters that I'm writing. But I think um, after after having multiple times where, you know, you put something on paper and then you see it come on screen, um, it's it's easier to know, like, I know that I can write a thing and then that thing can be, uh, created. And Mm -hmm. so it, uh, there's a lot, I think there's a lot more freedom in that. Just, um, that there's no, um, there's no restrictions. There's no, there's nothing holding me back from telling, uh, any story the way that I feel like it really needs to be told. And do you feel like, sorry, I didn't mean to No, go ahead. Um, do you feel like before your restrictions came from, uh, an essence of, uh, not being able to envision something being created, you know what I mean? Obviously, you wrote, you and uh, David have created such a really awesome film. Um, when I keep toting around to everybody I've you know spoken to within the last week, um, do you feel like, oh shit, I lost it? All right, tell well, me, tell I, me where was I, it? Where no, was I, I going with that? <laughs> I th- I think well, I, if uh, you know, I think what what you're trying to say is that like, um what what limits us i think early on is and mm. particularly in the world of independent film is is you're limited by what you think you can accomplish mm. and so um i i would say that if if anything i learned from from making last call is that you're not limited by what you accomplish you're only limited by what you can envision and mm-hmm. so i yeah i feel like there's an aspect of that where um you know like there's a a, a script that i i just finished uh, where there's a huge rollover bus accident, 
and you know in the in the world of independent film that's like well you know that's that's the budget of two other other movies yeah um but but i know that there's a way that i can that i can visually create that without necessarily needing to you know buy a bus and 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 wreck it and roll it over mm-hmm. and so you know it's and and also i'm i'm also at the point where i'm like but i i know that i'm i'm good enough to to warrant somebody giving me enough money to um destroy a bus if that's what is necessary to to tell this story you know and it's mm-hmm. uh you know not not that uh that that particular scene is there for the sensationability but it, it it serves a purpose in the narrative and it's it's an important aspect of the story and mm. so you know it, for me it always kind of comes back to to the story like the the characters the dialogue all of it serves the the overall story and that that's the important part what is the message we're trying to portray um mm. what's what is the you know the the arc that these characters are going through and so if it doesn't serve that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to write it because it's going to be a pain in the butt to shoot it and it's going to get cut anyway because it's not serving a purpose. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I find that that I find like a lot of uh, independent film more recently, I've been kind of there is more of a relief for me, uh, especially as the years go on, because you would have asked me like 10 years ago, hey, do you watch independent film? I would have said, fuck no. Um, but now I find myself more drawn to it because of the fact that the market, you know, just the way it is because everybody can pick up cameras now is oversaturated. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's oversaturated with good shit and a lot of bad shit. Um, and I find that, uh, now I have an, like I have a level of trust that I didn't have before an independent filmmaking to then go out and create my own stuff. Um, do you feel that way in, in some regard as well? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think the, you know, the point I was making before is even more um, apparent in independent film. Because, you know, I mean, I've got an iPhone, I, I can, I can shoot and edit and, and launch a, a film from just my phone. I, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, so it's like, everybody and i think that's you know i think that's the impetus for most people being like you don't have any excuses just go out and make shit but yeah the, the people that are yelling that the loudest are i think are mostly yelling it for their own sake um, yeah it's something yeah. that they need to remind themselves and they and they do that best by yelling at other people um but yeah i think because because the the play field is uh is sort of uh or the yeah the field has been sort of leveled um, by accessibility to cameras and all that, that it falls back on the story and the performances are are even more important than they've ever been. You know, you look back at some of like the most popular movies from the eighties, and or the you know just the ones that got made. I mean, there was just no they didn't have low budget things that were you know or at least that I was aware of. I'm sure there was an independent film culture that was going on, but. You know stuff like uh, Meatballs, for instance. You know it's not a uh, it's not going to win any Academy Awards for sure, but they spent a lot of money doing it. Yeah, and yeah. that was because they were the only ones who could. You know there was you know somebody couldn't make a uh, you know a, a lighthearted uh, or even you know impactful um, mumblecore film like you know for instance like the Duplass Brothers. You know or sort of the 
you know, the um, unofficial kings of, of that and the kings of independent film because they champion that idea of, like, we have this equipment. We can go make stuff better than what other people are doing because they had that sensibility for story and performance. And, you know, that's that will forever be um, a necessary aspect and I think become increasingly more important uh, at least I hope, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise we're, you know, it's just all going to be reality television and, uh, <laughs> which it's not that bad. I'll be honest with you. Um, yeah. Well, I don't, even I, reality television <laughs> is, uh, you know, unrealistic. It's not, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's all, yeah, yeah. It, there's, you know, when they, when there's writers credited at the end of, of a reality TV yeah. show, you know, that, uh, that what you're seeing is, is fabricated. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how editing works anyway. You know, I mean, just like you're going to be doing with this podcast and, you know, cutting it down to the important parts or, you know, making certain moments say things that maybe weren't 100 percent what was being discussed. But it's, you know, it's still good points to be made. It's, you know, our reality is sort of a, an interesting concept. I've, I've been harping on this uh, probably too much, but I'm, I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that, like, perception is reality. So if, if somebody believes a thing, that is... 100% how it happened for them. And mm-hmm. and we all have our own realities and our own perceptions of how things are going on. And so, um, you know, that's that's the reason I think that there's so many wonderful filmmakers and so many amazing writers and actors is because we get a chance to see other people's realities portrayed in a way that we might not have ever considered. Do you feel like... I mean, I don't know, like that you could go really far with that and go ahead and say, like, that's a good thing, but also also a negative thing because it leads to, you know, certain individuals getting elected president, um, you know, just because we can pick up a camera and, you know, because we can craft our own reality through a lens. We can also craft our own reality, you know, before we even get to the camera. Um, sure. And that could be, you know, a positive and a negative thing. Um you know, and I, well, I it, find de- it, it, it definitely, it, it, there's a lot of responsibility, I think, um, yeah. you know, and, and as, as filmmakers, you know, at least for me, you know, I feel uh, a lot of responsibility in, in telling a story that, that will, you know, be uplifting or uh, if not, uh, maybe uplifting is not the right word, but that will be impactful. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I feel that. you know, that's, that's kind of what, I mean, everybody's using, um, you know, whether it's reality TV or radio or, um, you know, independent film or short films or music videos, um, you know, we use we use these moving pictures to tell stories and but also to manipulate people's emotions. And so um, we should feel a sense of responsibility when we're doing that. You know, I mean, the same way that a psychiatrist should feel a sense of responsibility when they're talking to somebody who's who's needing help. Um, you know, it's they're they're sort of they're given this opportunity to help mold and shape somebody's uh, ideas and and thoughts and feelings. And you know, that's uh, that's a big deal. That's not something to be underestimated or, or taken lightly. Yeah, it's a weird relationship that I've always thought about. I took a I took a course in um in documentary filmmaking um and my professor showed us the this documentary on birds and uh I knew immediately something was off, but I felt strange thinking about it 
and thinking about the idea of it being off, feeling strange, um, not feeling real, feeling like reality television. Um, and it was like an hour and a half film. And at the end of the film, he just goes, guess what? All this is bullshit. Um, they did this, they did that to like get these birds in this shot and stuff like that. And, you know, and all of it sort of came crashing down that even a sort of thing that we trust as something to be reality is, um, is, is maybe not true in, in all the sense. But I, I think that the important thing that I got out of it was the fact that it was impactful. Um, the way that the story was crafted was impactful. And yeah, like I, I, I agree with that. I think, um, I, I think that it's important to create a story that has an impact. Otherwise, you know, what the fuck's the point, <laughs> you know, but um, going, I mean, maybe going a little bit, uh, a, a little bit way, a little bit off course here from our conversation here. Cause we could get into the weeds here talking about, <laughs> I, I, I feel, I feel, I feel like, I feel like I might end up uh, talking about certain individuals in our political climate at some point. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, kind of going back to your time in, um, in LA um, and I'm assuming, you know, I, I looked at your credits and uh, you worked on a TV show that I watched. I didn't really like it, but I watched it nonetheless. I'll just be up front with you. Uh, the Mindy Project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that I would assume that's a bit that's, you know, a big production. That's something that, you know, has a very different feel than, say, independent filmmaking. Do you feel more comfortable in independent filmmaking or independent work as opposed to working in, say, Hollywood or the Hollywood lights, as they say? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it, it really has more to do with uh, the production than mm. than anything mm. else. I mean, that was so. It's interesting is I was on I was on set for forty five minutes uh, for my episode yeah. of of the mini project. <laughs> we shot uh, four scenes in forty five minutes, and Shit. they you know they'd been doing I think it was season five or six or something at the time, mm. and so mm. you know they were a well oiled machine, so to speak. Um, I think it took me longer to find parking on the <laughs> universal lot, uh, than I was on set. So it was, um, but, but also like, you know, everyone involved really enjoyed being there and they were, you know, having fun, everybody's playing around. And so, you know, that's, that's the, the, cause I've also, you know, I mean, I've, I've been on independent film sets that were sort of miserable and everybody's kind of terrified and, um, you know, I, when when egos start to rear their heads and somebody needs to feel like they're more important than they are or um, doesn't feel like everybody's appreciating how important they think they are, um, it can make it sort of a, a toxic work environment. But um, I think at this point, like having having been so heavily involved in the all the creative aspects of a project, like that's that's what I crave. That's that's what. Um, I seek for, you know, future endeavors, you know, I just, I want to be involved in, you know, from beginning to end in, in crafting a story and, and being a part of, of how it's told and how it comes together. And, you know, I mean, that really requires uh, a team of people, regardless of how big the production is, you know, you need people that are, are specifically uh, talented in one area or the other um, to, kind of take the onus of, of that area and the responsibility that they've been given and to do their best with it. And so, um, 
you know, I mean, I've because I, I worked uh, I worked a lot in commercials when I was in L.A. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, you, know, you and, were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was going to start off the episode bringing that up, but I, I'll let you do it on your own. <laughs> well, it, it's I mean, it's interesting. I had done, you know, when I was living in Phoenix, I did, you know, some some smaller budget. It was still non-union. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was from uh, like I'm helping carry the the tripod uh, while the director's got the camera and there's you know and there's one you know sound guy there's like five of us all together to yeah um you know being on uh i shot a commercial for a uh, fruit company that sells computers that i'm i signed an nda for that i can't talk about but <laughs> that was a that was a massive production like mm-hmm. like bigger than than uh I mean, I still, I think to this day, maybe bigger than any movie set that I've been on. And, but the, this was the, this was the fruit company that you're talking about. Yeah. The, the energy was off. The vibe was off. People just seemed unhappy. And so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, and, and the, my independent spirit is, you know, was sort of launched, um, early on. I, I made a commercial with uh, with two friends in in Phoenix. I'd, I'd been in LA for a few years, but I, I drove back to to Phoenix to shoot this uh, commercial with a couple of friends for the Doritos Crash the Super Bowl competition. And you know, we shot it in my friend's mom's front yard uh, with his kid and his mom's dog, and a uh, a big refrigerator box that he had had gotten from a local appliance store. And, uh, you know, I think we all told we maybe spent 300 bucks making this thing and it really changed, uh, all of our lives. Um, you know, we wound up, it wound up airing during the Super Bowl. Yep. We won a million dollars, uh, Shit. that we split between, um, well, a lot of, it, a lot of it went to the director, uh, I was who actually say a lot wanted... of it went to the dog food. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you know, and he used that money to to make his first feature, uh, and um, my other friend, um, you know, was able to take his money and and do some uh, some pretty great investing that he had, you know, maybe missed out on um, just from people that he knew beforehand. But it you know it gave him you know a seat at a particular table, and for me it was my it was my first union uh, national commercial. It was something that I made myself, you know, and I've, I've been, I've been very fortunate to have, have done, you know, a handful of other national uh, union commercials since then. But I, I think that, you know, once you taste that I made, I made this, you know, not just I was a part of this, but I, I made this, I, cre- I helped create this out of nothing. It, it's, uh, it's difficult to, it's difficult to go back. It's still enjoyable, but it's and it's the in certain aspects it's easier. You know, it's I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not overwhelmed or afraid of of any of those big sets now because I know that I'm capable of creating something on on these levels. And so, um, well, that's a that's a pretty that's pretty awesome. I thought the because I I did a little bit a little bit of research on you. Um, and uh, I was trying to find that Doritos commercial, but I found the video of everybody celebrating the Doritos commercial, um, and, like the reaction to it being on national television, um, which is 
that's pretty impressive, man. Congrats. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I guess then, um, so you still feel an essence of being a part of something, despite the fact that, you know, you may just feel like a part of the machine um, on a big project than say, you know, an indie project is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, everybody serves their purpose. Otherwise they wouldn't mm. be there, uh, mm. you know, and it's, uh, I think when you've, when you've sort of been at the helm of a production, you you recognize how important everyone's role is and how important everyone playing that role can be. And so, uh, you know, it takes it takes a lot of the fear out of it, but also you know it adds a, a greater sense of um, responsibility to to be contributing to something. You know, whether it's you know whether it's a, a commercial advertising a thing and you've got the clients and the director and everybody on set you know everybody's there to make the best version of what they're trying to create and um you know that's obviously i think especially true of independent film um and also true of of, of any film you know I, i'm sure that i'm sure that there's people who could give examples of how this may not be the case but you know i don't think sh anybody shows up to make a movie uh and just doesn't really care, um, you know. <laughs> you know, Bruce whether... Willis. Is, I, I would argue Bruce Willis is that today, but <laughs> but but I mean, he's he. I mean, they, people may just be showing up. <laughs> people may just be showing yeah. up for a paycheck, but at the yeah. same time, there's somebody on that set that is that is having their mind blown. There's somebody who's yeah. so yeah. excited to tell their friends and family that they did a thing. And so for me, like, that's, like, that's where, that's where the responsibility comes down to. That's where the honor is, is, is you get to be a part of something that somebody's going to celebrate for potentially their whole lives. You know, I, I when I was, back when I was selling cars, there was a, there was a guy who was in charge of selling the Sobs. We, we were, it was a Cadillac Hummer Sob dealership. And, um, he like his office was just littered with pictures of him and famous people and he had done <laughs> he had done some some you know some studio films and commercials and things when he was much younger but that was that was his identity even though he you know was decades removed from it it was the thing that was the thing that he looked back on with such pride and such uh joyful nostalgia and so, you know, that's, I think that when you're on a project that's important and something, you know, it's, it's stories, it's stories that shape who, your character and who you are and that shape the, the overall narrative of your life. And, you know, you can't, you know, you can't downplay or discount any of those moments because they're all important. You know, we may, we may not be as aware of the small things, the, the little um, you know, micro successes as, as we would with, um, oh, you know, this commercial that we made is in the Super Bowl and it's an airing in front of 112 million people and we just made a ton of money. Um, you know, they may not all be moments like that, but, but every moment is vital. Every moment is important because if you, if you've spent your whole career just every five or six years taking one big leap, um, I don't think that the leaps would be as fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no that makes sense i i i think that there is though a, you know speaking to that individual that used to work with at the uh, auto dealership um do you think that there is how can i put this um 
falsehood in some regard to that sort of celebration going forward in life because all you really do is think about how great it was in the past i mean obviously i i i mean i you know a lot of people look back and say i remember the good old days and all that shit um so you never really have a sort of ambition to you know you feel kind of blocked to continue creating because you're so caught up on how how great it is to still be able to fit into your varsity jacket if you could you know put a metaphor <laughs> into it yeah yeah i don't know i mean i guess that's uh, you know that's something that would be a case by case basis for individuals yeah for sure um you know i think that uh i think when when you have a career that where you are um just working as an actor and you're essentially relying on so many other people to keep your career moving forward. Uh, you're relying on writers to write scripts and directors to direct them and casting directors to cast you in them and agents to get you auditions and managers to, um, you know, negotiate uh, different things. Uh, I think it can be, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a, a lot of hustle in that. And, you know, when you, um, you know, I feel like that's when you talk to like some, some very successful actors, you know, so many of them are, you know, it's just there, it's all about what's next because, um, that's, that's what they know. That's what they drive for. What's my next audition. Yeah. What's my next film. I mean, they can still look back and celebrate. And I think that's why, I think that's why we all love award shows so much is this mm -hmm, chance mm -hmm. to go and celebrate sort of the, you know, the best of the best. And, um, and the moment it, and, precisely and and, and, yeah. and you know and yeah. then we all i think i think we all you know fantasize uh accepting a big award and and you know what hopefully um meaningful things we might say that would encourage uh younger people because when we were younger we saw somebody say a thing and that you know that sort of stuck with us and you know we we want to emulate uh people's careers and successes and one of the joys of being a, a creator is that you are you're constantly moving forward. Um, you know, there's still it doesn't it doesn't matter uh, what level you're at. You're always going to be relying on other people. You know, if you're an independent film director, it's relying on um, finding somebody to finance, uh, finding people that are going to be willing to to perform in something. Uh, you know, potentially for a lot less money than they would normally charge. You're relying on finding somebody that can um, hopefully, hopefully uh, accurately and honestly distribute the content. But, uh, you know, even, even somebody on the level of uh, Steven Soderbergh or Christopher Nolan, any of these, like, you know, these gargantuans of the industry, um, even James Cameron making, you know, 96 avatars at the same time, he yep. still has to rely on the audience showing up and buying mm -hmm. tickets and, you know, and streaming and, and, you know, however they're going to be consuming it. It's all for not if they don't. And so I think the, the mentality in independent film and independent creation is, is you're, you're creating this story because it's important for you to tell, not because, uh, it you're shaping something that you know everyone's gonna click on and rent and go to the theater for and so there's there's a little bit more freedom i think in in making independent content because you're you're less constrained by 
um, studios and other entities involved, you know, wanting to shape it in a particular way where they feel more confident that they will get a return on their investment. Because that's what that's what big budget movies are. They're they're businesses. They're investments. They're, you know, they're, you're essentially startups. You know, which is why when something hits, they make you know sequels and they create cinematic universes around it because they feel they feel safe for once, safe to be able to do stuff. And I think that you know, there's there's uh, if if you have the right people involved that you know feel that sense of freedom once that happens you know you'll see the the films getting even better um uh and then you know i think you reach a level where everything's sort of falling within a particular formula and then it it sorts you know people get tired of that and they want something new and fresh and that's why you know every so many years they make a new batman <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that i a lot of that has to do with you know a lot of that has to do with the product in itself of Batman is so reliable as it is. Yeah. You know, you could sell shit with it, you know, pajamas and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I feel that. Like, I think the struggle for me is, uh, as a creator, um, I don't know about yourself, but uh, is trying to, well, I guess, you know, because I'm a lot younger than you, um, is trying to be whoa, able to... Whoa. <laughs> I feel like I'm at least ten years younger than you. I can make that. I can make that analysis. I think what I was trying to get at was the, for me, um, the ambivalence to get into filmmaking, and I think for a lot of listeners too um, that are of my age or whoever isn't, maybe they're not or whatever. Um, I know there are people out there that. Uh, struggle with uh, coming to the terms of wanting to become a creator because they're not sure who's going to see it. Um, going back to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning a little bit was, uh, you know, I mean, you gave me a bunch of metaphors, but the one I, I guess I was leading up to was, uh, you know, making sure that your dad is watching you when you're jumping into the pool, because if he's not, then who gives a shit at the end of the day, you're just jumping to a pool. Right. Um, so, I guess for me, it's just like, is it about the tra trajectory of the dive and the preciseness of how crisp you hit that water? Or is it about, you know, a little bit of that, but then your dad seeing you do it or your parents seeing you do it? And I think and that goes for filmmaking, too, is like trying to, you know, figure out what kind of creator when you want to be. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like it sounds like you're at a point now where you're comfortable enough to just be like, fuck it. I feel good. I can give myself permission to do the things that I want to do. And I, and Hey man, that's not easy to do. Sure. Well, you know, and I feel like I'm in a position too, where like, I'm, I'm confident that dad's watching. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm not needing to double and triple check and make sure that he's paying attention mm. because I know that mm. my last two dives were really good. And now I've, yeah. now I've got him and he's like, wow, you know, this, uh, this kid really knows how to dive, you know? And I think that that's, that's where there are some people that that start with that they're just confident that people are going to be watching and so they you know they're focusing on on making each dive the the best that it can be um and then there's the the people that aren't they're not paying attention to how they're diving because they're they're way more interested in making sure that dad's watching and so yeah, and yeah. i think when you do that when you're solely focused on making sure dad's watching you your dive is sort of bullshit and then 
dad's going to be, he's going to get tired of dad, watch this, dad, watch this. Cause it's like, I'm, what am I watching? I'm just watching you flop into the water. It's, you know, unless it's funny, like he's just going to be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 no, that's fine. So yeah. I think that that's, you know, that's where, that's sort of where we're, where we're going. I think when we're creating content, I know Ira Glass said this really um, interesting thing. He was talking about creators we have we have a very um sophisticated taste in the things that we're trying to create and so when we first make something we're so disappointed because we we see ourselves at this you know this pinnacle level of uh creation and when we start we're not good yeah <laughs> uh, and and so i think a lot of people you know they they see uh, this idea of what they're going to make and it doesn't line up with what they have the ability to make in this moment. And so they stop. They don't see the bridge between the two. They don't see those two things eventually coming together. And when you're, when you're creating, you have to understand that there is, there is a, a, a gap. There's a chasm between uh, what you want to create and what you can create. But the more you create, the more you fill that in. And it's easier to bring those two entities together. And soon you'll be making things that, that completely align with what you see in your mind. And uh, so that's that's the reason that you have to go out and make stuff. It's because you have to go out and start just shoveling dirt into that huge gaping hole between where you are and where you want to be so that you can eventually fill it in enough to cross over to where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel write, like... Write that down, go- by the way. That was uh, yeah. that might be the most brilliant <laughs> thing that anyone's ever said. I was going to say we could clip that for sure and put it in... Put your put your big beautiful face mm, over top of a picture, it. and then I'll throw it online when we we'll just when put I post it right next across week. the mustache. <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be great. Because you you know how you saw that that little video that I did with the waveforms yeah. and they were flopping right next to Gavin's like neck. Uh-huh. I'm just flopping <laughs> um, waveform stash <laughs> right on your stash. Yeah. Um, uh, what I was gonna say. Uh, so you know, with your film, uh, Last Call, um. I watched an interview too of both you and Gavin talking about the film. Did you go into it knowing that, I mean, Gavin felt this way when I spoke with him. Did you go into it knowing that it was going to be special at least for not only yourselves, but for other people as well? Did Uh, you know it was going to be impactful? I I knew that it had the potential to be, and I, I Mm. hoped that it would be. Um, But you know, because it was my first feature, and um and also something that was done the the way that we did it doing two simultaneous single takes there was no way to edit the nuance in later there was no way to cut around to to shape um the narrative and so it it had to be done ahead of time and so I think that once you know, once we had had finished the script and had gone through a couple of rehearsals, I had a much better sense that what we were doing was uh, was telling this story. And, and you know, I mean, that was always the goal to to create two relatable, uh, broken characters that that people could could connect with and 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 develop feelings for and, and really be invested in what was going on with them in this, you know, 
90 minute section of their life. And so, I mean, Gavin and I talked about that too, because once we were done, I, I felt like we had something that could very, very powerfully start conversations for people that, um, that have maybe been intimidated or, uh, uncertain on how to start a conversation about a subject that is so often taboo and avoided. Um, you know, mental health is, I think, I mean, we're in a, we're in a climate now with the pandemic and so many people, um, alone and have been that way now for a year that, we, we don't have a choice but to talk about mental health and to talk about how important it is to talk about it. And so I think, um, you know, the, the idea of, of suicide for, for me before I started uh, researching and writing these characters, uh, it always felt like a selfish thing. And what I, what I came to realize is that it isn't it isn't being selfish. It is, it is the absolute belief that these people have that everyone around them would be better off if they were gone. Mm. And that, that's not, do you, do you, do you, sorry, I don't mean to stop you. Do you mean selfish as in the sense of like, that you felt like you've never been there yourself. And so therefore putting your, your uh, mind and yourself in that space. I think, yeah, I mean, definitely selfish. an aspect. I just, my, my, my thought process before was just like how, you know, how selfish of them to, to take themselves away from the people that love them, how selfish mm, of them okay. to, to give up. Um, mm. And, and that, you know, that was, that was my, was my opinion about it. Um, because I, I had I had never been in that place. I had never been, uh, you know, mentally gotten to that to that spot. And so I, through researching and and I I met and spoke with a number of people who who had gotten to that place and had had very you know had thankfully failed at it. I spoke to people who had lost family members and friends and and lovers and uh, uh, to that act. And so that's, that's what allowed me to come away from this idea that it wasn't, it wasn't that they were giving up. It's they, they were making in their own mind, the ultimate sacrifice for other people to feel, uh, to be able to go on unencumbered. Um, and I think that, you know, once, once you've lost someone to that, you, you're more aware of how, how drastically it impacts those that you leave behind. And so, um, but at the same time, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about a situation that most of these people are in where they're not, they're not thinking clearly and rationally. They're thinking through the lens of their own suffering. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's made me much more sympathetic to, um, to that, and it's also made me a lot more mindful and um, willing to talk about my own battles with depression and anxiety and my own mental health struggles. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just I feel like the more comfortable we can make people talking about it, the less uh, the less terrifying it becomes, uh, the less um, 
the less shame, uh, you know, is, is sort of circling around it. And, and it gives people a chance to, um, be willing to open up, to be willing to reach out. And I think that connecting with other people, even a, even a stranger, um, can, can be the difference between, um, literally living or dying. Yeah, no, that's, that's very well put. Um, I definitely know, uh, people that have gone in that and been in that space as well. I myself have been in that space as well and it's fucking not easy. Um, so it's good to know that there are films like this out there that can, um, open up that dialogue and, uh, give that space to people and because i think there's a there's a there's a huge difference between thinking and visualizing an actual scenario where that occurs um so you know your character that you play in the film um he's going through a really really tough time in his life experienced a lot in his life and he's got to a point where he's giving up i can only speak for myself but you know when i have been in those spaces before it's it's very much how can you put this it's hard to kind of picture yourself outside because that's almost like what you want you want to kind of be removed from the situation and kind of not say not say look at it as it as as it stands as ridiculous like you're thinking about how you shouldn't be here anymore but you know you need to feel like you can step away for a second to be like why am i thinking this way and it's so hard to get outside of that and to have a sort of visualization of what that what those process look coming at it from like the outside in as a person that struggled with that. Um, it's definitely nice to see it because you see that the difficulties are real and that you can, there's a visualization of it. And then you can also go, well, I, I've been there before, but now I can see it. It's like, uh, if you start filming yourself crying, uh, for instance, because you're going through something, um, like whether, it, you know, for me, for instance, I, I remember uh, I went through like a pretty getting deep here. I went through a pretty like abusive relationship. And I remember after it was over um, to kind of get over it, I like filmed myself like, you know, talking about it and breaking down over the camera. Mm. And uh, and I remember I never went to go back and watch it, but I left it on my computer to know someday that there came a point where I could delete it and feel like that part of me had kind of moved on. So yeah, no, it's good. It's good that you, it's 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 good that you made this movie. I'm really happy, and it and it, and it felt good to watch it. And uh, it was it's a lot to watch films like this. You know, for instance, like I watched like when I, before I talked to Gavin the other day, I was like, oh, I was like in bed, <laughs> and I was like, I want to be comfortable when I watch this movie. Um, and then you know, I had to prepare myself. I wanted to be comfortable because I had to prepare myself to be uncomfortable right, to see yeah. something in someone else that I've experienced and I've gone through. Um, so yeah, it was good and it was very impactful and I appreciated it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. Uh, got a little deep there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. You know, if we're not getting deep, then we're just shallow. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, I guess, uh, you know, for this project too, let's, I, cause I didn't get to ask all the questions I wanted to with Gavin on the technical side. Um, but what was that going into the film and knowing it was going to be a one or a one take? Um, what was that like as an actor having, you know, the psyche of, you know, making sure that you didn't, you know, burp or, you know, move your foot wrong or fall down or I don't know anything 
could happen. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, one of the joys of uh, of doing something in a single take is you don't have to worry at all about continuity because everything's happening in in real time as it's supposed to. Uh, you know, I think you know I got my start on on stage, so theater yeah. is very much you know at, at the at the core and at the heart of of what I love as a as a an actor and a performer. And so I think for me there was there was a comfortable nature in that I was going to be able to really um, emotionally take Scott through the arc of of the film um, without any stopping and starting. I think there's something. There, I think it's more difficult to shoot an yeah. intensely emotional scene. Uh, over and over from different angles and, and, um, you know, oh, we're going to tweak this and now you got to get right back into that space. So I, I, I mean, I think as an actor, it's a little more freeing to be able to just go along for the ride with, with where your emotions are taking you as, as you portray this character. And, uh, you know, I mean, for us, it was just sort of like that, this is what we're doing. And if we fail miserably, Gavin used to, every day he would joke, like, you know, if, if, if we don't get this, it's going to be a great documentary. And <laughs> he, I know he, you know, he keeps saying that he was kidding all along, but I knew he wasn't uh, yeah, because yeah. that's how Gavin works. He's got, he's got plan B and C all, all, you know, ready to, to, <laughs> to go. And yeah. so I think, I think it was easier in some respects. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, some of the other moments that, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to, to kind of go back and reset for, for angles or, you know, lighting issues or, um, oh, I, you know, I wish I'd been turned more to camera at that moment or, or whatever it might be. But I also feel like what it does is it provides this, this voyeuristic, uh, look at what these two people are going through in their interaction um, because it's not perfect. I feel like all the flaws make it uh, more relatable and more real. And so um, I, I can't, I can't imagine telling this story in another way, um, particularly uh, or maybe especially the communication between Scott and Beth, uh, I think has to be an unbroken, unflinching, unblinking look at uh, a person who is ready to end their life and a stranger who has decided to try and save it. And that I, I think that's the beauty of of the story and the beauty of these two characters is that it's so raw and it's so real, um, and I think that that's I think that's what impacts people. I, I hope anyway that that's um, you know how they feel coming out of it uh, that they that they really got to glimpse at the reality of of this situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It was. Uh, I don't. I don't really have anything to add to that. It was just a good answer. <laughs> um, I guess uh, now having made such a, I would say, awesome first feature for yourself. Um, do you see yourself doing? I mean, I know we've been talking about the impact of a story. Do you? Do you see yourself doing 
more stories with the similar impact that this film does? Or do you want to move on to, you know, say, other stuff that has impact on on what you'd like to tell as a story for yourself because, you know, you like to write stories about kids finding treasures on a beach or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I think I have... I mean, I have a number of stories that I've, um, mm. you know, scripts that I've written, um, outlines that I have, other stories that I'd love to tell. Um, it's I wouldn't shy away from from tackling another story similar to the the ideas and the ideology of Last Call um, if it came along and if I felt like it was it was something that I could uniquely tell in a in a in a way that would make a difference for some people. Um, you know, my next, my next feature, something I've, I'm sort of, um, as I'm, I'm shopping around for the right producer and, and financiers for, I have a, uh, a, a faith-based feature that I wrote that I intend to be my directorial debut. And so, um, that's, that's a lot of my focus, um, as far as like feature films go. And then, uh, apart from that, I have, uh, a, a mockumentary baseball comedy that I've been developing, uh, for the past few years and, um, you know, a number of different short films that I would love to, to shoot. And, you know, as, as we're starting to kind of come out of, uh, this year long pandemic, um, you know, there's a lot more freedom to, to start doing that and to start, um, uh, shooting things again and, and filming things again. And so, um, I'm just kind of going, you know, I'm I'm making sure that all the irons I have in the fire are as hot as they can be. So, you know, if I if when the time comes I can pull them out and start pounding. Mm-hmm. That was a blacksmith mm-hmm. reference for anyone keeping <laughs> uh track at home. Or play Skyrim. Uh if they play video games at all, there's a good reference. I was hoping that you're going to laugh at that, but I don't think you maybe uh Oh, I'm not a joke. I'm I'm uh <laughs> I I think Gavin and I one of the things we have in common is that we have very addictive personalities and that's why neither one of us play video games because we would oh, very literally accomplish nothing else. Yeah, no, I haven't touched a video game in probably almost like 3 months. I think since I bought like a brand new big, you know, 4K television to like, you know, play 4K video games on and now I'm like I fucking like I could spend so much more of my time watching movies I've already seen a thousand times over and just writing about them or I could, you know, play video games, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about or anything you want to get off your chest or anything oh, you want to throw at the, throw at the microphone? Well, I just, you know, I, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, bringing me on. Um, yeah, this man. This has been very cathartic for me, I think, <laughs> and, a, and a delightful conversation. Oh, well, that's, know, that's good. I, that's what I hope for with these conversations. They're meant to be a bit of therapy and a little bit of good, loose loose comedy, a little bit of little fun times. Well, loose comedy <laughs> is my middle name, so it's uh, it's spelled Robert, but it's pronounced loose comedy. <laughs> well, uh, David, it's been amazing to have you on the show, and I can't wait for you to come back and talk about your next uh, feature, or just have you on to talk about film or whatever you want to talk about. You know, the I always say to my guests is anytime they come on the show the each episode is just as much there as it is mine because it wouldn't be there if it weren't for the other person. So there you go. Well, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I can't wait to come back. Um, you know, we'll try not to hassle you to be on here every other day, but um, <laughs> definitely again soon. 
Where can uh, where can the people find you? If, uh, I'll put the links in the show notes, but where can the people find you? Uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, all my social media profiles are at you got daved. Uh, that's Y O U G O T D A V E D. And uh, right now I'm living on Clubhouse, uh, like a lot of other creatives that I know. And um, when I'm not doing that, I'm being an absolute and complete total idiot on TikTok. <laughs> and so uh, follow me on TikTok if you if you want some brainless, mindless, uh, non sequitur comedy. That's sort of my that's my sweet spot. All right, David, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Absolute and total pleasure. All right. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. David is a really funny guy. I said it at the beginning of the episode. I wasn't I wasn't joking. I wasn't joking. But yeah, thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. It was a super awesome time. I will post all his links in the show notes down below for all of you who want to find them. Reach out to him. He's a super awesome, laid-back kind of dude, and he looks good in a hat. And I, I feel like I should mention that because his Instagram profile page, he's wearing a hat, and it's and he looks really cool in it. So, so David, if you're listening, you look really good in a hat. All right. Well, it is past my bedtime right now as I am recording this, and I just want to say... Thank you so much for listening. This has been a real interview with actor, writer, and producer David Wilkins, everyone. And scene. Scene.